This is episode two, in which we cover 12 of the most common relationship crushers. Today, we'll cover four more of the Dirty Dozen. I'm Dr. Christy Wise, and this is Life Sauce. Dr. Wise, episode two in the Dirty Dozen, the 12 most common or impactful uh, relationship crushers. Let's get right into it. So this will be number five on our list. You don't forgive or forget. Tell me about that. Yeah. So forgiveness is, you know, it's a hard one for people. It is. They say, I just can't forgive or I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. Now I know logistically we can't just forget. We can't erase things. But the idea of truly forgiving somebody does not mean that you are um, telling them that what they did is okay. That's part of why people don't like to forgive because they feel like then, then it says that what they did to me is okay. And it's not that it's that. It's forgiveness is really even meant for us so that, you know, it doesn't um, bog us down and create all that emotional turmoil inside of us. So forgiveness is not an easy one. I have to tell you, I know people struggle with forgiveness their whole lives sometimes, but forgiveness in a relationship is so important. And that's why it is one of our dirty dozen, because when you don't forgive or, and I say, forget the pain, the, the nags, all those things, then it crushes the relationship. I think this is very important because there is no way in a relationship that you don't screw up somehow. You 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 don't do something that requires forgiveness and forgetting. People should expect it. You're going to get hurt if you're in a relationship. And so, when couples come in and talk about this, what what is your counseling? How does that begin? Yeah. So, where I usually go with that is like, okay, so just because you talked about it once, first of all, doesn't mean that you're not going to talk about it again. But there is a balance between, yes, we're going to talk about it when I get triggered, but not talking about it over and over and over again. Let's use cheating as an example, because that's a hard one for people to forgive, forget, move on from. You know, let's say that, you know, she cheated and he just pounds her with that but they want to stay together and they try to sweep it under the rug or let's start new today, you know, and it doesn't ever really get to the point where they've gone to that deep, dark place of this is what it caused. This is why I did it. Please, will you forgive me? And that's from like a deep, visceral place. Not like I said, I'm sorry. What? How many times do you have to say sorry? You know, there's a big difference between that. If you can't forget, you're going to start building up emotional scar tissue very quickly, and that compounds itself over over time. So when you're talking to uh, the person who has suffered the offense, Mm -hmm. something like your your partner having an affair, that's a big one, maybe one of the biggest, Um, how do you keep that scar tissue from growing? What do you tell that partner uh, uh, about where he or she should go from there? So uh, first we go to the core experiences. You know, 
you know, when, when I found out that you cheated, my, my soul felt like it dropped out of my body. Like my world came crumbling down because I never thought in a million years you'd be the one to do that. And he can really, or she can really take in that level of pain and without going right into defense mode, well, if you didn't, then I, you know, that sort of thing. Like being in your partner's experience for a minute and then being in your, the other partner's experience. Like, you know, we all make mistakes. We all, we all fuck up. I tell my kids I fuck up every day, at least 20 times a day. You know, it's not the fuck up. It's what we do with the fuck up. So first we have to both be committed to that. This experience is going to further us. That's our goal. Instead of, you know, yes, it's going to leave scar tissue, but it's what happens in life in a relationship, right? Instead of tearing us down. So part of that is like, okay, we're going to go deep into my experience of what that caused. You're going to share with me exactly where you were. I was lonely. I didn't feel good about myself. Oftentimes cheating is about the, mostly about the person that's cheating, not about who they're cheating with. Um, and so we're going to look in, in that stuff, what was going on for you during that. And then we're going to decide what we want to do with it. Well, what we want to do with it is we want to set new boundaries. We want to set new roles. We want to discuss our values. I mean, boundaries like you're not going to go out with all your coworkers and have nine cocktails. You're going to have one and then come home and we're going to, you know, if you're feeling lonely, you're going to talk to me about it. Like we create new boundaries. Um, and we're going to honor each other's triggers because that's the other part of it. You know, if you're going to keep hiding your phone and always putting it face down on the table, I'm still feeling wounded and paranoid and fearful. That creates fear in me. And I'm not saying that I should look through your phone, but if, if you turning your phone up soothes me in that moment and I, that's what I need from you, then you need to understand that we're looking to soothe some of those wounds, not be like that again, you know? As we know, there is such a thing as a serial offender. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about the little things like leaving dirty dishes in the sink. I'm talking about bigger issues, not necessarily always cheating, but other significant issues. And they offend and offend and offend. How much should a person take before they say, this just isn't going to work anymore? Right. Yeah, I don't I don't think that, you know, it, what do they say that um, screw me once – Shame on you. Screw me twice. Did I say that right? Shame on me. Pretty Did, close. Yeah. Is that how it goes? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's almost like, you know, what is your um, bandwidth and what is your sense of self-worth that you would allow somebody to keep doing that to you? And for the offender, what is it that you are wanting out of life? Are you sabotaging yourself? Are you really not? I mean, are you not being honest with yourself? You're not really looking for a committed relationship or marriage and kids and that, all of that stuff, it's okay. But not if you're not being honest with yourself because it's misleading for your partners and not fair. In the last episode, we we had four um, relationship crushers and I think I asked you after each one, at what point is this offense not recoverable? Where are we with the blame game here? When has that uh, become a situation that you cannot come back from? If it begins to impact your functioning, your career, your 
your emotional functioning, your social functioning, if it begins to impact you, like, I don't know, I, I don't go to work because I'm so obsessed with looking at his computer, or he's showing up at my office and parking his car to see, you know, if my comings and goings instead of going to play tennis with his friends. If it begins to impact you in that way, I say it's time to get the fuck out. <laughs> and in some situations, in many situations, you can't get the fuck out. Right. You're, you're stuck there in that house, in that relationship for a plethora of, of reasons. You just can't do it. What then? Well, I'm curious about what those reasons would be. You know, well, they could be financial, oh. or you have young children. Um, oh. uh, maybe the the let's say it's it's a wife who has uh, constantly blamed for things too much, too often. She wants to get out. She's a stay at home mom. She doesn't have an income on her own. She may not have a support oh. group, other family, and so forth. So she really has to hang in there for as long as she possibly can. What does she do? Yes. Okay. That I understand. Well, I guess we need to manage expectations then. Expecting something of somebody that is not uh, capable of giving that to you is a recipe for disaster. You know, then you're not managing your expectations. If what you're expecting is to buy time or get your, you know, ducks in a row or all of those things, one, actively having a plan going to counseling, going to coaching, whatever it is, so that you're being assisted, setting up your environment to help you get out, then you need to also manage your expectations. Again, you can't expect something that's just not some in somebody's fabric. But my expectations would be that uh, my partner doesn't keep doing things mm. for which I require uh, forgiveness. Yeah. Uh, so what what do you I mean it's not always going to work out so simply is it No uh, no it does not it does not but you also can't have it both ways you can't you know have one foot in and one foot out and then expect your partner to have both feet in There's a good chance if you've got one foot in and one foot out your partner feels that and also has one foot in and one foot out It's it's not as easy as with a couple in front of you in your office, you say, don't do that. Right, right. <laughs> there's, right. there's a little more to it than that. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you have to, I'm sure you lay out to the offender um, what the hell is going on and the, and the damage he or she is, is causing. What, what does that counseling sound like? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, how, how I end up going, what direction I go with them, and that doesn't even make sense, that sentence, but you know what I mean, um, is... What is, let's just talk about short term. What What is your goal right now? And they say, well, we just need to get the kids through college and then we'll reevaluate if we should stay together. Okay, then we need to look at what the need is. If he's saying, I just need attention from other women and she doesn't give it to me, we need to look at, you know, what is the attention that he can gain that would be acceptable to her if that's what they're doing. If they're buying time and he feels this need to fill that void without going to counseling or coaching or whatever it is on his own, then what would be acceptable? Well, he can, and I have this all the time, by the way, he can look at porn. He just can't do it, um, you know, online calls or, you know what I mean? Like Zoom calls, you know, there's boundaries. I don't mind if he looks at porn and masturbates to porn, but this is what would, this is what hurts me when you're engaging with somebody else, whatever it is. We need to talk about the nuts and bolts. 
And we need to be honest about where we are. If if you have one foot in, one foot out, let's call it what it is. If it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, let's be honest about that. And in that, design the parameters. Okay, we both have one foot in, one foot out, and we're going to stay till the kids are away at college. Here's how we're going to respect each other. Here's how we're going to honor what we've built. And by the way, our kids in the future, because we're not going to be done with each other. We have children. So you know what I mean? There has to be a, here's what is okay for us. Okay. Next topic. And this is a tough one. I, I don't know how you deal with this in your office, Dr. Wise. You see your partner as inferior. Mm. What kind of relationship can you possibly have if you think you are superior mm. to your significant other? Oh, yeah. And that is why it's one of our crushers because it's when you start to disrespect somebody, um, they feel it, you feel it, the connection feels it. Uh, so we need to take a big, hard look at what it is that you think that you are either inferior, you know, at or from and your partner, why are they, why are they better than you? And it, by the way, we're, we are, you're better at this and I'm better at that, but then we're not putting value in the things that each one of us is great at and it's devaluing the relationship and destroying it. Well, so how do you counsel people? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, 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 one in the relationship already feels that this person I'm with is not in my league, not in my class, either emotionally, sexually, intellectually, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, how do you get them to be able to, to, to balance that relationship? Yeah, until you walk in somebody's shoes really truly, it's hard. And, and even then you can't because if we were to role play, somewhere in the back of your not mind you'd know it's a role play and that you'd get to get out of it. If I said for one week I want you both to take off work, I want you to turn off your phones, I want you to swap roles. I want you to be her and you to be him or her and her, whatever it is. I literally want you to swap roles. You stay at home and take care of the kids, carpool, do all the things that you're doing. And I want her to, or him to go off to work and, you know, have the burden of the bills and the burden of this or go fix the car. And I know that these are sexist things I'm saying because they're very role defined, but you know, I'm trying to give an example, whatever that looks like. Until you know the experience of somebody else, and even then, by the way, we can't totally embrace it, it is hard to um, wrap our arms around their experience. And even when we can't, knowing the emotion behind it, for instance, if, you know, let me give you another example. If I have somebody that comes into my office and I, I don't see child molesters in, in my practice, I don't coach child molesters, however, and not... In a million years would I say anything is okay. I'm saying if that person says, I lose touch with reality, I'm trying to express love, aside from all the bad, yucky stuff, I know what it feels like to want to try to express love that doesn't feel like it's landing. I know how there's certain feelings I can identify with, not those behaviors. So can I identify with the person's feelings Absolutely. I can identify with that. I don't cheat, but I understand what it feels like to be wanted. I understand what it feels like to be val you know, valued or to be celebrated or to feel sexy. Doesn't mean I choose the behavior, but I can identify with those feelings. And that's important. 
You mentioned that you would advise people to swap roles for yep. a week. Have some of your clients actually done that, and what have been the results? Oh, it's so, yes, and it takes a big commitment, and all the excuses need to go away. It does. It is. to You know, can you imagine canceling three days or a week or two weeks, whatever it is, and swapping roles? Um, and even, by the way, in a sexual experience, I have, you know, one person who wants to do a little S&M, and I say, okay, let's turn, let's turn that around. You want to know what it's like to be fucked in the ass? It's okay if you do. However, if you don't realize how painful it is or how gentle you have to be or how much lubrication you have to use, then it's hard to walk in those shoes, so to speak. You know what I mean? So yes, I have absolutely had clients follow my lead and it is so powerful. It is so powerful. What do they tell you after that? What what have been the uh, responses? Oftentimes embarrassment and shame come up first. Like I cannot believe I was so pompous or so self-absorbed that I didn't realize the responsibility of, you know, 24-7 teaching these children valuable lessons for life and all of these things. So shame, embarrassment often come up. Um, you know, uh, uh, what do they say? A come to Jesus sort of experience where it's like, oh my God, how could I have been so, uh, you know, I don't know, unaware of what my partner experiences or what they're good at is unbelievable. And that doesn't work in every situation, right. obviously, particularly I would think if, if one in the couple uh, feels like he or she is intellectually superior, yes. I'm, 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 I'm dating or married to a a, a dunce. Yes. T two questions here. First, why would a person think that? What's going on in his mind? And and two, why would he even stay in a relationship with someone who he feels is inferior? Yeah, you're. That's yes. <laughs> so it could be <laughs> over time. Did they get dumber? I don't know. But just saying, yes. Knowing that you are intellectually superior. That's the truth, right? We're not all equal. That's, but not being able to find the value in your partner or if your partner is not bringing to the table their gifts. If your partner is, you know, you're the smart one and they're the creative one and they're not using that creativity to enlighten life or bring joy or bring peace or, you know, equally and all your intellect, but none of the creativity is showing, then there's an imbalance. And yeah, you need to look at your choices and get out or do the work that you need to do so that we can support that other partner in bringing their gifts to the table so that there's just as much value. Let's go to the next topic, and this is sort of tangential to all of the other topics that we've talked about over this episode and, and last week's. Um, you have trust issues. Mm. Uh, those are, you know, if you've, if you've been hurt so badly that you no longer trust your partner. Yeah. You, I, I would expect that you'd question everything he or she does. You're, you're, you're presupposing motivations and why someone is doing something that may be actually not harmful, quite normal, but now you've got this little paranoid thing going on in your head. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that when you have uh, those couples in your office? Yeah, the... Getting over the stuff that you guys have been through 
in terms of trust is one thing. Bringing trust from, and we all, lots of us have trust issues, from childhood or past experiences is a different kind of embrace. So I've been honest and shared uh, quite openly about some of my experiences in my past with my ex. And I, so I can honestly say personally, I can see when my own trust issues bubble up and how I manage them in relationships or in dating and stuff. I know what it feels like when they bubble up. So I'm aware of them, which means that I then have to ask for what I need. I'm feeling a certain way. I'm needing to feel safe and I'm not willing to choose a partner that wouldn't embrace what I've been through in the past so that they can accommodate when I'm feeling wounded. I say that these trust issues are a lot like herpes. <laughs> they lay dormant, then they flare. They lay dormant, then they flare. Do you know? And if you're not willing to embrace when I'm flared, then you're probably not the right partner for me. Does that make sense? It does. Is this a, a question of time that if if you have lost trust in your partner, um, over time, if they prove themselves to be trustworthy, do you get your trust back or is there always that suspicion in the back of your mind? Mm. Both. I think that, you know, time certainly helps. And, but you have to know it's not always on what your partner does. Like, I've done enough. It's been five years. I've done enough. You, you know, you, that means you don't know me. You don't know that I would never disrespect you like that, you know, that sort of thing. Some of our experiences, and I say this all the time, they become part of our fabric. And they flare less often, right? If you manage your herpes, then they lay more dormant than not. But if you don't, then they're flared all the time. So yes, over time, they flare up less and less. However, if they flare up, it doesn't mean that my partner has always done something to trigger it. It could be a smell, a sound, a time of year that all of a sudden flares me. It could be that you signed my taxes because you were being sweet and now I'm triggered completely because of everything that my ex did. Do you know what I mean? So, and your intention is just a good one or a sweet one, but I'm triggered. And so then we need to be able to talk about what's triggering and what your intentions are and stuff like that. Dr. Weiss, do you find that uh, couples who come into your uh, office who have trust trust issues require more sessions with you to get past that point? I, my, my guess is that it, that it would, but you tell me. Yeah, they do, depending on their willingness. They say, how long is this going to take? And I always say, I don't know, you tell me. <laughs> like, you know, you're, it's going to depend on if you go balls to the wall or where you are. But the one of the beauties about coaching, by the way, is that I can be with my clients when they're in it. So I have couples that call me when they're fighting and I've got both of them on the phone or both of them on Zoom and I can get them while they're hot, you know, and, and that to me, it shaves off 20 minutes off the session because we're already going, the engines are going. But um, so making sure that you're working with somebody who knows what they're doing is important, right? It's like working with a trainer who is unfit themselves. You need to make sure that the person that you're working with is really, really schooled at this specific issue. This is probably a good time to ask the question because not everybody lives in San Diego. How do you find a, a counselor who can address your specific issues? And let's talk about 
this trust issue specifically? What questions should they be asking if they're interviewing potential counselors? Uh, yeah, so making sure, yes, not that they just do couples, because lots of people do couples. I would look for somebody specifically. And, I, you know, interviewing three or four therapists or coaches at minimum is important. It drives me crazy when somebody says, I went to therapy once, it didn't work. You know, that's like going to Nordstrom and trying on one pair of shoes. Like you cannot do it. Therapists and coaches are a dime a dozen. And it, I mean, statistically it shows, research shows that the success of therapy or coaching, 90% of it is that connection. So if you don't have that connection with your person, with your, you know, coach, then try on somebody new. And we're lucky enough now because we have a lot of virtual things. So look outside of your box, so to speak. Um, where you can find people, I think easily, is every city has a psych association. Uh, so go on, like here we have San Diego Psych Association. Or look into your environment. Who do you know who's gone through something similar and see if you can get a referral? Because referrals mean it comes from somebody you respect. So trust issues people with trust issues yeah. also have to have trust in their <laughs> counselors as well. Yeah. And I, I would guess it's very difficult to figure that out over a brief conversation or a, a Zoom call. But are, are there a set of questions they should be asking? I mean, specific questions you should ask a potential counselor. Uh, the questions, not as much as the feeling you know, because you can say, do you work with high-conflict couples? Do you work with trust issues? Do you work with past trauma? All of that stuff. But if something isn't feeling, and I don't mean the, the voice, the trust voice that says, no trust, ah, I'm saying, is this an environment or a person that I can let my guard down with a little bit? Do you know, if I asked a vulnerable question and I got a true response um, that wasn't just, you know, bullshit response. Uh, it might be something worth trying. You know, when somebody says to me, how many sessions, I honestly do mean that's up to you. If, if I were to say, oh, we could fix this in six quick 50 minute sessions and you'll be good. Then I would, my, you know, red flags would be going up. Right. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a, um, jungle out there, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're, you really uh, run the risk of perhaps making things even worse if you don't find the, the right person. Can you, can you decipher all the information you need from first initial session? Yes. Aside from, I just want to say one other thing, going to your friends or your family and asking advice about your partner, and I'm not saying don't talk about what's coming up for you with your friends and family. I'm saying, remember that confirmation bias, be careful about who you're asking for advice. If they're not in a great, healthy relationship that they've worked hard on in years and went balls to the wall on, don't ask them because they're going to tell you what you want to hear. And, and that does make things worse. You know, all her friends say he's an asshole. All his friends say that she's a bitch and a nag. You know what I mean? Like you're going to, so be careful about that. And then when you're asking the questions with the therapist, make sure that they're taking the time with you, that they ask questions about you in particular, not the standard surface questions. But if they're not asking questions about you, what you've been through, why these trust issues, do you know why these trust issues are a part of your fabric? 
you know, then I would see that as a problem. I've never asked you this question, but I'll, I'll ask it now. Do you have um, clients that you work with strictly over Zoom in other parts of the country? Oh, I do. They're all over the world. They are, yeah. And um, are you able to determine um, uh, any sort of difference in success rate mm-hmm. as whether they're in the office or over Zoom? No, I mean, I think for sometimes it's hard to be on Zoom uh, as a couple if they're sitting together because it's hard to fight and turn to somebody and go, asshole, you know, so sometimes I'll have them pull up their own Zoom and maybe even be in a different location or a different part of the house. Um, but it's, you know, and, and there is something about being able to hug them and say hello and they come into my office. and But eventually, I think when the trust and rapport is there, it doesn't matter where you are. If you're willing to do the work and you're on Zoom or I have lots of clients that do FaceTime, you know, or they're on location filming, you know, and so it's in a weird bathroom stall somewhere because they don't want to be heard, then I say go for it. More important that you're happy with who you're working with than where your ass is sitting. Okay, last uh, item in this episode's uh, relationship crushers, and and this is a big one. Um, You've suffered a big life event that totally rocked your relationship. We've talked about cheating affairs, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But that's not the only kind mm-hmm. of thing that can rock a relationship. There are tragedies of personal nature, financial nature, on and on and on. First, give us kind of a general idea of what you've experienced mm-hmm. and some of the events in the lives of your clients that have rocked their relationship. Yeah. And because we came out of COVID, health is and, and finances come up first. But you know, loss of somebody, a death in the family, an illness, you know, um, any major physical or mental change, uh, I would say is catastrophic, right? It does, it, it doesn't mean that we're not going to work through that because we certainly will, but it means that we need to work because it's to just mm, think that you're going to go through the grieving process and then go back to normal or, you know, suddenly now she's in a wheelchair and you're just going to go back to normal, whatever it is, it's, there is, it's a new normal and we have to redefine things and we have to learn how to care for each other today, currently, instead of how we used to, well, we used to go skiing and now he can't, you know, those sorts of things. It, it takes a lot of work and a lot of care and some depth. And, and, this topic includes things as tragic as the loss of a child, mm-hmm. um, the loss of another family member or, or loved one, um, loss of your home because you lost your job and now you're out on the street. I mean, there are there are couples out there who are living in tent cities right now who were previously part of the the middle class. Mm. What? What is required to hold these people together in their relationship in spite of all of these tragedies? The I and the we both have to be incredibly taken into consideration. If you and I uh, were on vacation and San Diego had fires and we lost all of our worldly belongings, and I do have friends during the fires here in San Diego that lost everything, including their pets and all of their children's things and all of those things – 
I'm going to deal with it differently than you're going to deal with it. You might say, who, thank God we have our lives and th those things are just things. And I am in such pain because it was my grandmother's china and my children's brass shoes. And you, do you know what I mean? How I deal with that loss and how you deal with it is different than how we deal with it as a couple. How will we ever be able to build a home like that? How will we ever be able to replace some of those memories and those photographs and those things? And so there has to be some room in there for us to deal with both of our eyes and our we exclusively. And what people fail to do is to take into consideration those eyes. And, you know, if I'm dealing with the loss of a child differently than you're dealing with the loss, if you say to me, well, maybe we can have another baby, and I'm horrified at that thought and angry that you think it's going to replace the baby and blah, 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 blah. There has to be room for how we view it, how we feel about it, and what we need to do as a we. You'll set me straight on this, but my guess is that um, couples who are already having significant problems in their relationship um, don't come through tragedies or uh, earth-shattering events successfully. Is that correct? Most often they don't because there's all that undercurrent of stuff before, you know, before that tragedy. However, once in a while, that tragedy, it's like trauma bonding. Once in a while, they bond over that and they wake up over that. You know, it's like a rude awakening. You know, one partner was diagnosed with cancer and all the little petty things that they fought about before or, you know, that, that I wasted time flirting or cheating or whatever it is. Sometimes there is such an eye-opening experience that there's, they bond over it. So give us an example of what a session sounds like in your office when a, a couple comes in who have just suffered something yeah. earth-shattering. Yeah. So if a couple comes in and I, I hear about how it's experiencing one partner and then I hear how the other partner is experiencing it and then I ask about the impact on the we, I look at what are what's pressing first. Do you know, like, how are they coping with it? How are they dealing with it? Because what we don't want to do is cause more damage on top of that. And then I want them to start redefining themselves as a we. So if, for instance, if you, let's use the example of a couple losing their child, um, you know, God forbid drowning in a pool. So, and there's a couple of famous couples who have come out with this experience where they've discussed, you know, how quick it happens, how quickly you can lose a child. I start to have them, after we work on all of the I stuff, I start to have them redefine themselves as a we. Like, we are now taking a stand for X, Y, and Z. For instance, I, I can use the backup cameras. We all have backup cameras. Most of us have backup cameras now in our car because a child got run over in a driveway. Do you know this story? Yes. And that couple, that we, became an advocate for backup cameras. So they had a greater vision, which alleviates some of that, this, why did this happen to us? You know, and not the, why did it happen? But now we've done something. Now we can help millions of children who would potentially be run over. And it redefines them as a we. Earlier in this episode, we, we talked about the blame game in relationships. Mm -hmm. And I would guess that uh, earth-shattering tragedies also can often create blame. Oh my gosh. It sometimes it feels 
almost impossible not to. Take a scenario where you ask him to, or her to run to the store and get milk. It's been very hot, right? We've had all this global warming and all that stuff. And she or he left the baby in the car seat, forgot the baby was in the car because the baby was asleep, just had so much on her mind or his mind, ran into the store, and the baby dies, which is a tragic story, but it happens all the time in our country, right? It would be hard not to want to blame your partner. How could you not know the baby was there? How could you not have paid attention? And you can imagine the shame and remorse and the self-battery that goes into the person who does make that mistake. I don't know. I don't know where my head was. I don't know what I was thinking. But it doesn't mean that that blame game should or in any way would be healthy to continue. But you're the person that just killed our child, uh -huh. right? Yeah. How can you ever have a normal relationship again after that yeah. if that's the way you feel? Yeah. It's no longer that normal. It's, it is a new normal. It is. Where I've expressed, and may, maybe over and over you've had to hear how angry I am at you and and I have to hear how guilty you feel. And we need to be able to really, really, like, like I said, herpes, you know, when it flares up, we need to be able to embrace those feelings. But we also then need to manage what are we now going to do with it? We want to stay together. I love you. You love me. How can we build on that so that we've done something with it? Not that, and that's part of the problem is the doing nothing but just destructive things with it like we need to do something productive with it but you're always going to look at that person as the one who killed mm. their ch their child <clears throat> and and so that thought creeps into your mind almost every time you're together it would right. seem can you really come back from that yeah. can you build a new relationship after something that tragic. Mm. I mean, Not, that was, yeah. you know, we're talking about a rare instance yes. in which um, it, it was an accident. They didn't yeah. intend to kill the child, but it happened. Maybe they were careless. Maybe they weren't. Yeah. But the kid is out there running around. Yeah. It may not be anybody's fault in right. the true sense. Right. So how do you, how do you get past that? Yeah. How do you build a new life? Yeah. It, well, <laughs> they have to, first of all, they have to choose. Because you can't, to be in both places, you know, I'm choosing to stay in this relationship, but I'm choosing to stay angry. I'm choosing to punish you is, again, a recipe for, like, disaster. At some point, you have to say, this has caused me pain, and it is what it is. That's the truth. However, here are the things about the relationship I'm willing to appreciate and value. It's almost... Another example is, you know, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. You know, one in three girls, one in four boys are molested, sexually violated. And m more often than not, it's a family member or a next door neighbor, somebody, a family friend. How do you, that person, that kid still have so much love for their parent who violated them that way? It's a lot of work. I'm not saying everybody can do it. However, some people can forgive with boundaries and recognize that the relationship has the value here, not over here. You, do you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not ever going to pretend that we had a traditional life in X, Y, and Z.
the reality is what it is. And here's where we are today. Here's what I can value in you today because I'm choosing to. You're my parent. You're my, you know what I mean? You're my husband. I choose to value you. I choose to. But it has to be an active, conscious choice. And it might have to be every day. I want to remind our our listeners and viewers that um, we've you've chosen 12 relationship crushers, which we're going to cover over this three-episode series. Uh, again, this doesn't cover the universe of things that can go wrong in a relationship, but we are talking about some things that seem to be common and maybe overlap with so many other things. In um, our next episode, which drops next Monday, the final four of our Dirty Dozen Relationship Crushers. Thank you, Dr. Wise. Thank you. For more information or to submit a question, go to our website, lifesauce.com. That's life-sauce.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media. I'm Dr. Christy Wise. Thanks for joining us.